as people make their way back in. Let me tell you what we've been doing if you haven't been here. We have been preaching through the Old Testament. We began really back in the springtime with the book of Genesis. And we divided the messages up between about four or five of us to uh, several reasons. Um, Part of my job is to help other people get where they're going and give them opportunity to communicate and express who they are. It's, it's the old style is the preacher preaches every week, and I, I don't want to listen to the same person every week. And uh, they're more, um, I think there's a greater value in hearing other people express their faith from different perspectives. So anyway, so we did the, uh, the Genesis series, and now we're in Exodus. And it began with uh, John Mark talking about the birth of Moses, and then I talked about the burning bush. Andy talked about uh, the confrontation with Moses and the Passover the next week. Al did the Red Sea. How many of you heard Al's Red Sea? That was powerful. You need to go back and listen to that. And then I did the wilderness because I lived there for so long personally in my, my faith. And that brings us to the point of Moses giving us the Ten Commandments, which Eric Hurchin is going to share with us. And then next week, I talk about the tabernacle. So that sort of gives you an idea of where we're heading. We're trying, to, and, and honestly, there's so much. in Each topic could go a month or two months, and we're doing them in a week. But what we're trying to do is give people a survey and release a hunger for the Bible and if you haven't read much of it, give you an idea of what's actually in it and why it's important. So here we have Eric Hurchin. He's been a friend of mine for probably 20-plus years. He's on our board of directors, and I love him. Robin. Hey, guys. I'm Eric. Uh, I am not a professional speaker. So if you would just go ahead and give me that, that would be awesome. So if you could just kind of, like... Uh, What's the, what's the uh, thing that you do in the movies? Suspension of disbelief. You know, you just, you walk into the movies and you smell the popcorn and everything like that and then you go in the dark room and, and whatever happens on the screen, you kind of like give, you, you give yourself over to it. Um, not that you should give yourself over to a bad speaker, but just saying that, um, if you would just, you know, kind of give me that, you know, like in your mind now, just go ahead and say like, well, he's not professional. This isn't what he does for his job. So he's probably going to screw up a bit. It's like when your friend comes over and asks you, you know, when you have a plumbing problem and your friend's like, I do some armchair plumbing. And then, you know, when your friend screws up your toilet, you know, in the back of your mind, you're like, well, you didn't cost me anything. So, <laughs> so there we go. Um, I went to, um, my, uh, my printer, um, messed up on me uh, a little bit ago and I went to print it out at FedEx office and the setting was, uh, the setting was 11 by 17. Um, it came out of the printer, and I was like, ah, oh, dang. And then I looked at it, and I was like, you know what? I'm doing this from now on. <laughs> you can make this into a poster, y'all. You guys want to need something for your, for your office? Um, can we pray? I drank like five uh, cups of coffee accidentally because uh, I do that a lot. But then, you know, you drink five cups of coffee. But again, I'm not a professional speaker, so I don't think about, you know, the ramifications of five cups of coffee on talking. So what ends up happening is, you know, you do this because this is what you do on a Sunday morning because you're like, oh, the one day I can relax and have five cups of coffee. Um, and then, you know, you get here and you're like, 
oh, God, I'm wired, you know? So, um, so we're just going to pray, Lord, uh, I need your presence. I know that your presence is here. Uh, you've been here. You are not leaving. You haven't left me or anyone in this place. But I ask that it would come in a manifest way that we could understand and access. And I pray that you would shore up any anything that I say that's amiss. I pray that you would just kind of like sift that thing out. Lord, but the, whatever, whatever gold is actually you, that it would, uh, it would stay, it would, it would be here with us and it would find, it would find a home in our hearts and in our minds and actually in our whole bodies. Amen. 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 All right. If you've been around for these things, we've been marinating in context. You guys are in the perfect place to hear about the Ten Commandments. And one of the reasons that you're in the perfect place to hear about the Ten Commandments is because we can understand them rightly, right? It's not just like we have like these ten, you know, sometimes I think, you know, I do love Gustav Doré and he did such a great job back in the 1800s of, of doing these woodcuts and, and they're great and we all love them and, you know, they're kind of iconic. Um, but sometimes you get a little, it, sometimes my, my issue with these guys, and I like it, I like it. I'm not a, I am a Gustav Doré fan, but you know, sometimes we get this stuff and it, it kind of like, um, we can stained glass our faith, right? So it becomes kind of like, this is the Ten Commandments out here, and then this is my life, right? Um, when, I, when I think sometimes what's most helpful is to uh, think of it very dirty, dusty, uh, day-in, day-out kind of stuff, right? Um, so what's great about us learning about this Exodus story is I think that hopefully we're in, we're in the right place to place the Ten Commandments in their, in their correct Correct context. So, you know, we've got this, we've been, we've been, we've been doing this Exodus thing for a while now. It's the story of Moses, but it's not just the story of Moses. It's the story of Hebrews. And it's not just the story of Hebrews, but it's the story of this people group that have been enslaved for hundreds of years. And, um, they have this God and he's kind of been an absentee landlord to some degree. Uh, he hadn't been around. They've been calling him. What are you doing? We're under this, the, the boot heel of the empire. Um, finally, you know, the, whatever it is, he hears their cries and, uh, he, he raises up a Moses and Moses, um, through one way or another becomes the deliverer, right? And, uh, and, and through Moses, God delivers the Hebrews out of empire into the God forsaken desert. Right. you know, um, so here we are to put, to put us exactly where we are, where the 10, when the 10 commandments show up, we're about three months into this journey. And how many of you guys know that three months in the wilderness would be about just enough time for all the wheels to fall off. Right. Um, it probably wouldn't take me that long. It'd probably take me about seven days. Maybe not that long. Um, you know, probably me and the desert and a, few thousand people, I'd probably be like, you know, a a hot mess. Um, And you probably would be too. Um, And so the Hebrews were also hot messes. Um, So we... We're zooming in on this, this, this period of time. So, so basically... At this point, three months in, the Hebrews are starting to have all the problems that people normally have in large groups that start civilizing themselves into, into you know, a, a moving city or a city. Does that make sense? So, you know, stuff like, you know, this person lied to me. This piece, person stole to me. This person uh, ripped me off. This person killed my goat. This person, uh, you know, uh, slept with my wife or, you know, the... 
This person's wife slept with this person, yada, 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 right? This is what happens. Just any city, pick a city, Charlotte, whatever, New York, L.A. Just anytime you get a big group of people, that's what happens. So Moses is taking the role of judge. Um, I mean, he's the leader of the group. He's the one who got him in the dismiss. So he kind of takes it on himself. He's like, ah, I'll, I'll help sort these things out. And, you know, it's sun up to sundown. He's, people are coming to him, bringing their problems. He's helping them sort it out. He sends his, uh, his wife and his, he's having such a time. He sends his wife and his kids off back to where they came from, uh, back to Midian. Uh, you guys, again, hopefully marinating in context. Uh, we know that Moses, after he murdered the Egyptian guy, he goes running off into the backside of the desert, which is Midian, and he, um, he runs into these women. Uh, long story short, one of them catches his eye. Um, the, the father says, hey, why don't you stay with us? Kind of accepts him into his house as his own. And he lives there for 40 years, not a short period of time. Um, so he makes his home there on the backside of the desert with these people. These are Hebrews. These are Midianites. And although they do have some kind of like shared um, Abrahamic kind of ancestor situation, but they're not, they're not Hebrews. They're not, they haven't known slavery. They're just good old people living out in the sticks, doing the best they can. Well, doing pretty good. Actually, Jethro's pretty wealthy at this point. Uh, anyway, so Moses sends off his wife and his kids and they have a good time out in the, you know, the countryside. And then, um, you know, it's time for the kids and the wife to come back. And Jethro's like, here's about all the stories about all the cool stuff God's doing. And he's like, oh, I got to go check this thing out. That sounds fun. I'll come back with you. You know, I haven't visited Moses. I haven't seen Moses for a while. You know, we lived together for 40 years. I love that guy. So they go back. Then Jethro comes and, you know, they, you know, uh, Jethro's a good God-fearing man. And um, uh, there's an interesting side story there that I'm not going to get into. Um, but Jethro, you can do that. You can wiki it and look up about Jethro. It's an interesting story. Um, so anyway, long story short, Jethro comes and he's hanging out with Moses, and he's seeing the sun up to sundown thing, where you know uh, Jethro is being, um, or Moses is, is is doing the judging, and Jethro's like, Moses, uh, son, you know, like this is this is pretty hectic. You can't do this. Is not sustainable, my friend. You have to. You got to figure something out. This is. You, you are not going to, this isn't going to go well for you. This isn't going to go well for the people. You've got to figure out some kind of situation where these people can kind of internalize some kind of structure. And then once, once you figure out how to get these people to internalize some kind of structure, then you need to take, then you need to pick out the, the best and the brightest and the most trustworthy. And you need to make them Judge, you need to figure out some kind of judicial system. You, you can sit at the top and maybe, you know, you can, you can, you can do this for like the most tough cases, but you need like a Supreme Court and then you need like, you know, some kind of like system. And Moses is like, Jethro's, he, you know, he's internalizing this. He's like, yeah, you're right. I do need this. You're right. I'm, I feel crazy. Thank you, Jethro. Um, so, uh, So, you know, before we, we move on, I just want to take this time just to think about this for just a second. You know, so the, the Hebrews had been in slavery and for, for generations, so generational slavery. And, and how many people know that when you have your, you know, most of us uh, haven't experienced something like this um, directly, but 
there's this thing that happens under any kind of tyrannical rule um, or slavery where there's this, there's this very, 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 very compact, really tough system enacted over top of you. Okay? It's inhumane. It's awful. It's, it's not good. However, one of the byproducts of any kind of tyrannical system, whether it's, you know, Nazism on this side or totalitarian communism over here, is it does create a structure, right? And a very tough structure. I wouldn't say the good, but one of the byproducts of the structure is you don't necessarily have to think too hard about what you can and can't do. There's a structure that's around you at all times and you know what's going to get you killed and you know it's not, right? So you can, especially over generations, you can develop some real muscular, um, you know, like spacemen, you know, are out in space and there's just not the gravity that there is here on earth. And, and if they don't work really hard at it, their muscles kind of like atrophy and get weird. Um, so they have to like, not just work out every day. They have to work out real hard every day because they have to work, not just work out like we do, but they have to actually work out to the point that there's like, they're accounting for the fact that there's no gravity in space. Does that make sense? Uh, so, so that's where we are with these Hebrews. Generational slavery. They've been in this structure. The structure is, it's, you know, it's almost like you drop an egg and then, you know, like the structure's gone and then you've got all this space to explore. Now we're like, you know, I mean, just read through some of those laws that come after the Ten Commandments. You know, how many of you guys know that there is no such thing as a law that's made um, for something that hasn't happened yet? I mean, look on the books. There's some weird laws in America, you know? And But the thing is, is like when you read those laws, you're like, that's the stupidest law I've ever heard. And it's like, you know what? That law was almost 99.9% made because someone did that. <laughs> Whatever that boneheaded thing is that you're reading and you're laughing about, that was a person. Um, avoiding any snide remarks about... Okay. Um, there's some funny stuff in the Bible. So, uh, and all those are related to things that people did. So anyway, what's the best answer for people in the wilderness who have been under generations of slavery and all of a sudden you have all this freedom and all this ability to do this stuff? You need a structure and you don't just need a structure. Listen, outside structure, we all, human beings run to. This is how tyrannies start, right? Somebody says, I'll take care of you. You go like, oh, thank God, my life is so chaotic, I need somebody to trust. Good. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, wait, there go all my civil liberties. You're killing people. What are you doing? Um, so but what we need, what's better than this external structure that becomes tyrannical? And again, like, thank God for structure, you know, and governments and all that stuff. We need it. But what's better than that is an internal structure, Right? An internal structure that we can all kind of agree on and we all go like, yeah, this is good. Let's not do that. Let's not kill one another. So Jethro leaves and uh, Moses, you know, takes to heart what Jethro says and he goes up to God and he's like, hey, what you got for me? And God comes to him. Um, by the way, I am like making this so compact. You really should go read uh, Exodus. Okay. Is that Exodus 20, by the way, is, but what I'm talking about is kind of like Exodus 19 backed up right before that. So just read through it. Exodus 19, 20, 21. It's really interesting stories. Um, so Moses goes up to God and, and God gives him 
the Ten Commandments, right? And sometimes we can miss how revolutionary these commandments were for the period of time that they were in. Right now, you know, now, with the exception of a couple of them, we kind of like, you hear them and you kind of miss how amazing this was. Do you know what I'm saying? We, we can miss how revolutionary it was for all of a sudden to have this internal compass that says, yes, I should not lie. I shouldn't deceive. I, I, should, I should work my hardest to, to become the kind of person who is not a liar. Right? And we're all going to miss the mark and we can talk about Jesus and what he came to do. But at the same time, when we're talking about making a civilization or a group of people work really well, that group of people works the best when there's this internalized structure that we all can agree. We don't kill people. We don't, right? All that stuff. So we can kind of miss how revolutionary it is. I'm going to read the Ten Commandments real quickly, or maybe not quickly, but I'm going to read it. I would love it. You guys don't have to, you're not going to have to talk with me, but I would love it if you stand with me. Only because so much of the learning that we do is whole body. You know, we're not just like brains. Did you know there's as many neurons or uh, in our stomachs as there are in our in our heads? So, oh gosh, Andy. Um, so sometimes it helps us to think and to take things in. All right, and if you can, you know, if you don't have a kid, you could close your eyes even. So here's the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shouldn't bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you should labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any other foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that's in them. But he rested on the seventh. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Honor your father and mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not cover your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. You can sit down now. Again, it's hard to imagine how revolutionary these ideas were at the time. And to, to, to have this kind of internal structure to build a whole society on. And, um, you know, any time that, that human, human civilization, whether they use this specific thing or not, any time that they agreed on something like this, the society flourished more than it did than the societies did not agree on these things. Now, I'm just going to be honest. Each one of these could pretty much take up, a, you know, a good 
45 minute talk. So as I was preparing my message and have been for about a month and a half, one of them just kept sticking out to me. So this is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to kind of make an, an agreement with you. Um, I think each one of these is worth turning over in your mind and your heart again and again and again to see all the different aspects of it. And I think not just turning it over in your mind and in your heart, just, you know, you shouldn't murder. I mean, you can do that, but think of it in the context of the story. So, for example, you should not murder. The context of God giving this this rule to a murderer, right? Moses is receiving this from God. He's already killed an Egyptian man in his past, although it's been quite a few many years ago that he did that. But do you know what I'm saying? So, so, so I'm going to go after one of these, but your homework is to go after all of these. Okay? Um, you don't have to, but man, if you did, it would be, it would be so great. So the one that I really want to go after is honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. That's the one I want to go after because I think it's a really, really, really important one. I think all of them are important, but I think this one's a really, really important one. I'm going to read it again. Honoring your father and mother so that you may live long in the land that your God is give, the Lord your God is giving you. What does this mean exactly? To honor our father and mothers. You, you might have noticed, as the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians, Ephesians 6 exactly, that this is the only commandment with a promise. And the promise is, if you, if you do this thing, then you will live long. There's some kind of quality of eternality inside of this commandment. In this commandment right here, there is the quality of eternal life right here. So this is kind of a prophetic commandment that goes beyond the structure of do's and don'ts and transcends into eternity. Does that make sense? We should note that this commandment comes before all the commandments that seem kind of like commonsensical, right? Honoring your father and mother doesn't seem necessarily like common sense. You can take your father and your mother lightly. You know, the only thing that it requires to be a parent is we, we know, right? There's, uh, editing myself. Uh, anyway, um, there's a, doesn't require that there is no, there's the requirement for being a parent is, uh, is, is the bar is low. Um, now, you know, doing a good job of it, that bar is very high, but actually just the conception part, you know. Um, sorry. I have this pinball brain. It, it's really good for what I do um, in, uh, in my day job, which is design and creativity and art and all that stuff which means that I can think of one thing and then it goes like five different places immediately. Um, again, that's great for when you're doing what I do, but maybe not so great for when you're speaking. So there we go. Thank you for giving me the benefit of the doubt. <clears throat> so anyway, it comes before all these commonsensical commandments, right? And then this one isn't quite so common sense. So it may be more important because it contextually comes before these things. 
And maybe it sits before these things for a reason. Maybe if you get this one right, these other ones might be easier to, to get correct. Does that make, make sense? So it's like a key. You know what I'm saying? Like if, if the promise is you're going to live long in the land, well, guess what could make you live longer in the land if you didn't kill somebody? Right? Okay. The word honor is the Hebrew word kaved, which is actually a kind of a multi, like Hebrew is want to do, it's kind of a multi-use term. Um, we get it later in Exodus. It's used for God's glory. But really, the root word here is heaviness. It's kind of burdensome. It can be good or bad, right? You can have a heavy burden. You can, you, you, you know what I'm saying? Like a burden can be good, right? You can have, you can have too much money. But is it really, you know, is there, I mean, a burden of money? I'll take it. You know what I'm saying? Um, so, so there, heaviness is good. Or, it can, you know, it can be bad too, but it can be good. So there's this, there's this thing in honor in Hebrew that's, whatever this thing is, is it's weighty. So maybe even a better way to think about this instead of like, you know, honoring. Think about it like this. Make your parents weighty in your mind. Make your parents weighty in your hearts. What does that mean? We don't take them lightly. Right? We don't take our parents lightly. And really, in a basic way, that means to grant our parents importance. It means that we don't take our existence and we don't take their existence lightly. We take it heavily. We let it be important. Right? This is something that you should think through. All of us find ourselves, you know, there's a literary term in Latin. It's called in medius res. And all the best stories start in the middle of things. That's what in medius res means. You know, a lot of Shakespeare. You know, you've got these Shakespearean stories like Romeo and Juliet. And they always start like, boom, right in the middle of the action. And those are the best stories. But the truth is all of our stories start in medius res. Right? That's why we, that's why we love stories that start right in the action because we start right in the action. Right? We are coming at the end of a long series of, of, of action and movement. So it's good to take weighty where we're coming from. Does that make sense? All right, the second thing way I think that we can get at this honor thing. So the first, I think there's two main ways to get at this, this how to honor your, your father and mother. The first is to think of this Hebrew word kaved and to make weighty, to make important, to take seriously your existence, your parents' existence, to turn that over and over in your mind. I exist because these people exist and because those people existed, these people existed. But the second thing that we should be doing is we should be asking ourselves, what parents are we seeing in this story? Contextually, this, these commandments, obviously they're for us, but they, you know, they, they plopped right in the middle of this, this story that we've been studying. So let's look at the parents that we see in this story and kind of see what kind of honor we can kind of get here. Does that make sense? So number, the first parent we see is really God the Father. We see the transcendent God. The eternal transcendent parent. A few chapters later, we see uh, Moses asked to see his glory. And, uh, you know, Moses said, you can't see my face, but I'll let you see just a peek, you know. And what was his glory? It was his goodness. Right? So the main parent that we see in this, in this whole situation is, is, 
is Yahweh, right? I, I am. And his glory, his, by the way, same word, his heaviness was his goodness, right? So what's the first way that we honor and make weighty? We look for the goodness, right? So we look for the goodness. Robin uh, spoke two weeks ago about, uh, about the wilderness, right? And there he read that description in Exodus about the wilderness. We see scorpions and bitter water. I mean, that's the real, that's the reality of the wilderness. Scorpions and bitter water. It's not a fun place. But what does God say to Moses? Hey, I've always been meaning for good. I am a good being, right? That doesn't mean that the wilderness isn't the wilderness. It doesn't mean that there aren't really scorpions. It doesn't mean that the water really isn't bitter. But it means that there is something that, to go back to the, the commandment, there's something that brings us eternity when we begin to look for the good in the wilderness. Does that, does that make sense? And that is, that is like the ground zero for honoring. No, number two, the second parent, Moses. Dude's a parent, right? And he's kind of the, the, the leader, kind of the, the paterfamilia there for the, the Hebrew people. He's the proper biblical hero if there ever was one, right? He's, uh, he's the, he's, you know, proper biblical heroes are always paradoxes, right? So he's this guy who, who, you know, um, he, he doesn't speak too good. He kind of begs off, God, why don't you, I don't really want to leave these cats. I can't even, I stutter. And God's like, cool, take this dude Aaron with you. He'll, he'll talk for you, but you're the guy, right? Um, he's the, he's the guy who, 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 who helps all of the Hebrews to live, but at the same time, he murders the Egyptian. He is the, the guy who has the closest relationship with God of anybody in his little, in his tribe. Right. But then at the same time, it's his lack of trust in that God that keeps him out of the promised land in the first place. Right. God won't even let him cross over into the promised land. He doesn't even get that part because his lack of trust for the God. Does that make sense? So he's got this all these paradoxical things that are going on with Moses. Great guy. But I'm just saying, you know, he's not perfect. And um, that's the great thing about these Bible stories. Right. Bible stories don't, you know, like it's so funny. I think, uh, maybe not you, but I grew up in a um, Christian culture that like, man, so in the, the same way that we, we, we're over here, we're in the wilderness, we're looking for good, right? There's, there's almost like this kind of like, um, way that the pendulum swings too far where you look at the wilderness and you're like, this is wonderful. Well, no, it's not wonderful. There's a scorpion there. The water's bitter, but we're going to look for the goodness, right? We're going to exist in the goodness, but that's not going to change the fact that we're going to call it what it is. And what's great about the Bible is the Bible seems to be able to do that, right? It seems to be able to both handle the fact that there is real goodness, but hey, this stuff is, this will kill you, right? And, 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 and here's the other thing, too. The Bible doesn't cover up its heroes. You almost never don't see our heroes in the Bible. The Old Testament have serious failings. You can't barely think of any. We don't, you know, to use a Jesus term, we don't, the Bible never whitewashes the tombs. It always gives you the whole picture. And that's what we get with Moses. So what's another kind of honoring? It's to not whitewash the tombs. 
Not to turn your parents into something more perfect than they really were. Not to like, you know, pretend like these things. You know, not to like wash the, you know, not to like have this vision of your parents that are so perfect that it turns them into like stock characters in a bad story. You know? True biblical honoring is to be able to look at your parents and say, like Moses, man, he was amazing. He never got to go to the promised land. We don't beat him up for that. We don't, we don't push him away. We don't say, hey, that's not my parent. But we do, we do bring all of the truth. Does that make sense? All right, the third parent we see is Moses' father, Jethro. Uh, this guy's a truly wise man. Truly wise man. He's uh, brilliant. You know, uh, he's, he's, he's maybe not successful in the ways that we think of, you know, big city success, right? He's definitely not the palace that Moses grew up in. He's not Pharaoh. Um, he's not Pharaoh's daughter, right? I mean, he's living on the backside of the, the desert, this guy. But even though he's not kind of like this, this picture perfect picture of success like Pharaoh, guess what he is for Moses is he's 40 years of just this really, really, really good um, uh, 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 area of stability. Do you know what I'm saying? Like he provides this structure of stability for Moses to get his stuff together, to become the kind of person that can be a leader, right? So this is who Jethro is. This is the other parent. This is another parent. You know, uh, um, uh, along with Jethro, another person we can think of is uh, is Moses' own mother, right? You know, somebody else who who through her own risk and blood, sweat, and toil, she makes it so that, number one, Moses can survive. And then she's real shrewd in a cool way, you know? I mean, she kind of rips off Pharaoh's daughter a little bit. I mean, she kind of works it pretty. She's smart, right? You know, she's like, she, you know, Puts old Moses, and you know, I'm sure that she put Moses in the water at just the right, you know, she put him in at just the right time. She's like, and five, four, three, two, boom. And you know, and the little cute baby comes by in the basket, and they're like, oh, he's a beautiful baby. We can't let that go. So then they, they get him, and, uh, and then, you know, and then she just happens to be around, you know, I'm great with babies. And then, you know, Pharaoh's daughter's like, oh, cool. Well, we'll pay you to take care of him. So, I mean, really, that's like super, I mean, that's like double. You, you saved your baby and you getting paid to do what you were going to do anyway. <laughs> if we're going to honor somebody, honor that woman. Freaking smart. No way, yes, well, where did my Moses get it? The apple did not fall far from the tree. The mama. All right. So this, too, is another facet of honor, to look to the more humble people in our lives who we can easily turn into mental wallpaper, right? The people who provided stability for us, the people who built these structures so that we could be safe while we were growing up, so that we could have some kind of good foundation to drop off, uh, uh, you know, to jump off of. It's so easy to turn these people into, it's so easy to people take, take if, you, if they did a good job, like we see Jethro do, Jethro do, and we like we see Moses do. It's easy to not celebrate these people, isn't it? It's easy to take them lightly, which is exactly the opposite of the Hebrew word, correct? 
So what we need to do is we need to take them heavily. We need to make them weighty. This person who, this person of wisdom who's kind of, you know, he's a secondary character in this story. Moses' mom's the secondary character in the story. But the truth is, is to honor, is to, to look at these characters and go like, this is, these, this is important. And I'm going to make this weighty, and I'm going to make the decisions that they made weighty, and I'm going to celebrate these things, and I want to emulate these things. Finally, we think of the Hebrew parents in the story, who only chapters later, only a few chapters later, well, first, let me get ahead of myself. The Hebrew parents of the story, they've risked their lives to run out of the grinding awfulness of Egyptian slavery only a few months later to, to find out that that freedom would probably require more of them than slavery did, right? But they did risk. They could have stayed. And that's a huge risk. I mean, in some ways it's a, you know, there's death here and there's maybe death there, so let's go this way. But, you know, a few chapters later we see them melting down their Egyptian gold earrings <laughs> Making a gold calf, which ironically is also immediately uh, coming, uh, immediately crossing the first commandment, right? It's like, it's like we're just going to go ahead and, you know, so they get the Ten Commandments and then a few chapters later, it's like all the parents in the Hebrew nation are like, we're going to try this. Yahweh, man, you're not like that great. We ate better at home. This Yahweh guy, he's not working out so good. He's just stressing me out. Let's go back to the Egyptian way. They had Pharaoh. You know what I'm saying? And who among us at some point hasn't fallen into the siren's call of erecting an idol in our lives, right? And what is an idol other than, you know, man, this way's hard. I'm going to try this. And you know, this usually is, what is this? I mean, usually it's a, it's a lesser God. Right, right, right? We exchange the hard work of maturity and growth for the bondage of the service to a lesser God. That's what, that's what idol worship is. A God that would exact our health and our wealth in exchange to be placated in the moment. Right? That's what idol worship really is. So here, what does honor look like? It, uh, it looks like recognizing the patterns that we inherited and, re- and realizing that it's no small task to not endlessly repeat the mistakes of the past. And the truth is, is maybe there's no escaping those failings. Maybe, maybe that really is the truth and, and Jesus came to, you know, thank God. But at the same time, this has weight. We can honor the failings of our parents. And by honoring the failings of our parents, by the way, we can escape maybe those failings. Does, does that make sense? You, how many of you guys have known or have been one of those people that so didn't want to turn into your parents that you all, you, you somehow like jumped the fence and like, like ended up even more than what they did? Maybe a different way, do you know what I'm saying? Not to pick on the baby boomers. <laughs> Not going to do that. Revolution! You guys stink. <clears throat> Only to make some of them say mistakes. And I'm not, I mean, come on, everybody does that. It's not just <laughs> baby boomers. 
But I'm just thinking, you know, the hippies dancing in the fields going like, they, you know, they're looking at their parents going, you guys are messed up with your suits and your ties and all this stuff. And then I'm just saying, I mean, Gen Xers are no, no, no better. And I'm sure the millennials won't be either. Um, our kids will, you know, they'll have a field day with us. It'll be great. I can only, I can only wait. Um, so this, these, these things are biblical honor, right? So from, from the parent God to Moses to Jethro and, and, uh, and, 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 and Moses' mother to, to the Hebrew parents, we find kind of a pattern for honor that kind of covers all of this thing. You know, I think of my own parents. Um, they were awesome. John and Pam Hurchin. I was born in Louisville, Kentucky. And um, just... I just, you know, you don't choose who your parents are, and so what you get, you know, it's you when you when you land on this earth, you basically came out of like this, like you know, like it's like this Vegas kind of like, you know, you get what you get, and you know, maybe you got like all lemons. Um, <laughs> if you're laughing, it means that it's true. Um, I got cherries, I feel like. I mean, I just, you know, through no fault of my own, through no choosing of my own, I did not work for it. I just managed to be born to two wonderful people. They, Of course, they have their feelings. I'll tell you a really couple funny stories. They loved to travel, but they didn't have a lot of money growing up. We didn't have a lot of money growing up. Uh, Funny thing, my dad, when I was born, was a janitor at a mall. Um, But a very smart janitor, and there's nothing wrong with being a janitor at a mall. Uh, in fact, uh, he was janitor at a mall. I was born in uh, my, the first place I lived in was a was a single wide on the wrong side of uh, Louisville, Kentucky. Um, I've done very well for myself. Thank you. Um, so, uh, but Dad was a janitor, but he was teaching himself Greek and German and Hebrew on the side just for fun. Uh, my dad was twenty when I was born, and my mom was a nurse. And she's kind of like, John, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with being a janitor. However, if you're teaching yourself Greek and German and Hebrew and Latin, it may be that your calling is somewhere else than janitorial work. Dad thought about it and he agreed. Um, and then they, they made kind of an agreement between themselves that mom would work full time and then dad would take care of the kids and go to school. A little bit in, in, in inversion of kind of what was expected and the fact that mom was from a very rural community in, in Kentucky, uh, it was kind of a weird thing to have done. But, I mean, I can tell you that it was, it was a, a great way to grow up. I got ringside seats to, um, to watch my dad uh, just be a, an amazing person. My dad's an amazing guy. Uh, you, there's some funny things about him. He's a, he's a very deep thinker. And he, uh, he's always plumbing the depths, but maybe like the day-to-day stuff kind of escapes him. Uh, like filling up, like filling up gas in a car. You know, one of my favorite memories is being, I think I was like eight or nine and we're, we run out of gas. But okay, so the funny thing about my dad is like, he's amazingly like, just, he, he always kind of like, he like lives in the big ideas thing and he doesn't live like, you know, things to do and all that stuff. Um, although he's great, it's, you know, uh, but he, um, so yeah, gas. So we're, you know, we're going <laughs> and we run out of gas. He's also incredibly lucky. So we run out of gas like right in front of a gas station. 
And uh, so, you know, somebody helps us push the car into the gas station. And the gas station guy comes out and goes, boy, you're lucky you ran out of gas right in front of a gas station. And dad looks up at the, <laughs> this is totally dad. <laughs> he looks up at the, at the, <laughs> at the, uh, the prices and he's like, well, not that lucky because this is the most expensive place in Jefferson County. <laughs> I was mortified. I'm just like, Dad, shut up. Just be thankful that we, <laughs> we didn't have to walk five miles with a gas can. Um, one time, <laughs> I'll only say this because my dad was such an amazing dad. Uh, he was uh, also, um, maps and uh, distances were not his forte either. You know, I mean, the dude's are like a doctor of philosophy. You know, he like studies like... You know, languages, so, you know, you can fault him for not being good at math. Or you, you, you can't fault him for not being good at math. But one thing that mom and dad loved to do, even though we didn't have a lot of money, was we loved to travel. And uh, travel spontaneously. So we went a lot of places when I was young, which I, lo- which I loved. I mean, I got to experience a lot of the world uh, on a shoestring budget. And um, I remember one time I came home from school, and mom and dad informed me that we were going to Niagara Falls that weekend because we had a three-day weekend. And I was like, that sounds great. And we lived in Louisville, Kentucky. It's like, how long will that take us, dad? Dad's like, five hours. I was like, great, five hours isn't that bad. It's 500 miles. We'd have to be like floating the whole time. Ten hours later, it's two o'clock in the morning, we're walking into the hotel room. Remember, we don't have a lot of money. I mean, you know, one income, dad's a student. I mean, you know, we're like mayonnaise and saltines. And um, so... I was a very embarrassed child, you know, for my parents. And and uh, one of the things that I didn't realize until the moment that we were walking in at 2 o'clock in the, in the morning into an uh, ironically very busy hotel room, um, I didn't realize that they had brought pots and pans with us to actually, and a cook stove that we could actually cook our food in the room. And I was mortified because Dad... <laughs> Dad had a <laughs> dad had a uh, had a plastic bag full of pots and pans, and we were walking through the the hotel lobby as loud as you possibly could be. I was just like, "Oh my God, I'm never doing that to my kids." So now it's only caviar and just joking. But, but, but in all reality, my mom and dad were amazing. They, they provided such a great um, foundation for me. They were both parents. My mom was as practical as my dad was not, you know. And uh, they were a great balance for me to learn from and for me to jump off of. And all joking aside, I mean, um, sometimes I realize that I don't know to the degree that I was just blessed coming and going by the fact that I was, I just the fact that I got to be their, their son, you know? Um, and I got to see, you know, my dad's so kind and I got to have ringside seats, especially since he was taking care of me. Uh, most of the time and mom was at work. I got ringside seats to watch what kindness was like, you know, an everyday, um, just everyday practice. And he didn't have to really work at it too much. It didn't feel like he just felt like he kind of had that. He just carried it. And I got, I got to watch that. And I, I wasn't necessarily liked him, like him. I think probably like a, more like my mom in that way. Um, but you know, over time, I just took on the characteristics, you know, hopefully to whatever degree that I'm kind, it's my dad to whatever degree I'm not. It's just me. Um, well, okay. So I want to land this plane. 
So what I want to do is I want to, I always like to end pragmatically. I want to invite you to honor your parents this morning, okay? Um, and, <clears throat> and the thing is, is in a room like this, you probably are all over the map with the kind of parents that you had, right? You know, uh, some of you, maybe you had like a, you know, um, You know, maybe you had like a Moses type parent. Then maybe they was larger than life, you know? And growing up, you just put this person on a pedestal, but as you got older, you know, you saw the cracks in the, in, in the edifice and you just began to, to see how far this person was from this ideal that you had created in your own mind. And you saw their failures and you were crushed and it crushed you so much that you just never were able to kind of like come back from that. And you, you just kind of left living with this low-level sense of, you know, dread, shame, anger. You know what I'm saying? Like a cocktail of, like, negative emotion. Because um, there's nothing worse than, like, thinking you had this and then realizing that maybe it was this. Even even if it wasn't this, you know, just the fact that you held this them up this high. You know what I'm saying? Um, so the invitation is there for you to honor your parents, to make that parent weighty in your mind. And like the biblical heroes, to be able to accept everything that they were, right? Maybe you were born into some kind of wilderness. You know, maybe your childhood was all scorpions and uh, bitter water. Um, so now it's time to look for the rays of light of God's goodness that was, was all over that place. That doesn't mean that those, the scorpions weren't real. It doesn't mean that the bitter water wasn't real. But now you can look back and go like, okay, God, I want you to show me where you were at that time. And I want to learn how to honor even in that space. Does that make sense? Uh, maybe you were born into the picture of stability. Right? Maybe it was like a Jethro or like a, you know, a Moses' mom type situation. But maybe these people created such a wonderful structure of safety and beauty that, 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 uh, that, that it's easy to take them lightly. Maybe you were bored. Maybe you, you know, you felt like they were just, uh, you know, maybe you took them for granted. You missed the wisdom that they had for you. Maybe you interpreted their desire for stability as collusion with everything wrong with the world. Um, if this is the case, it's time to make your parents heavy, not to take them lightly, and to look at the structure that they created and thank God for it. You know what I'm saying? Um, maybe, finally, maybe you were born into a family that was healthy enough. You know, you think about the Hebrews. Maybe it was healthy enough on the surface, uh, surface, but one of both of your parents had gone looking for comfort in all the usual places and all the idols that we know, you know, money, prestige, sex, power. I mean, you know, maybe it wasn't even that. Maybe it was a vibrant ministry. Maybe it was, uh, maybe it was a moral crusade. You know, maybe they had, they had exchanged real life for an idol. And, uh, and maybe you feel that your own life had been sacrificed on the idol of their gods, whatever that was, you know, maybe, and maybe that's always been kind of an undergo, under, undercurrent. Maybe there's a, there's this kind of like, sub sub note you know this base note in your life of that you felt like you'd been sacrificed on the altar of your parents idols you know no matter what that was um but even in that you know what i'm saying finding the honor finding the place where you could make your parents heavy finding the place where you can thank god for what was good about that so 
if you would bring your parents to the front of your mind, you don't have to do the hard work. It's like some, some of this stuff is just so, this takes a while, right? And we think that we've got it, and then, you know, something kind of comes up, and we're, like, angry again. And we, even in that moment, we can go, like, God, I honor them. I make them weighty. I bless them. We want to see these people as three-dimensional characters, not flat 2D characters. We want to see them as, as whole people, you know, capable of wonderful good and horrendous bad at the same time. And we want to, at the end of the day, Father God, right? Goodness in the wilderness. So let's pray. Lord, we honor those that we came from, and we honor our own existence. We honor our own existence, and we honor their existence. And we thank you for our existence, and we thank you for their existence. And we ask that... That you would bless them. And even if they're not alive, that you would bless the echoes of their lives. And that you would bless the echoes of their lives for generations. And if they are still alive, I ask that you would bless their futures. That they really would be blessed in every way, shape, Form, coming, going, backwards, forwards. And we love you and we thank you for just your deep wisdom and your eternal well of goodness. Amen and amen. Oh man, that's a powerful word. Hey, hey um, we want to go ahead and invite the ministry teams up for folks that want to receive prayer after um, service. You know, <clears throat> I figured out uh, somewhere along the line of my life that I needed to sow a lot of grace and mercy into my parents' life because I would need my kids to sow a lot of grace and mercy my direction. You know what I'm talking about? So that's, that's one really good reason to honor your parents is that you're going to want your kids to do the same for you. So why don't we stand up? Um, like I said, we've got ministry team folks up here who would love to pray with you. If you've got any needs, uh, don't be shy. Come forward, um, and we'll go ahead and just dismiss and maybe take somebody out to lunch, give somebody a hug. We'll see you all next week.